This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. That is 1 Corinthians 13, 11. That we'll get into more of what we're going to be talking about today. But guys, if you haven't done so yet, leave us five-star reviews. Guys always ask us, how can I help you with the show? How, how can I help get this out to more people? Well, first of all, share it with more people. But also, every time you leave a five-star review with a couple of sentences letting us know why you like the show, it helps us know exactly what you like, but also the algorithms like that. And last week on I, Wednesday or Thursday's episode, I asked if you guys would be interested in doing a monthly book club. And so the uh reaction was overwhelmingly positive. There's apparently a lot of you out there that would like to do some sort of a book club. So now I actually have to figure out how to make that happen. So um, I will be getting with you guys. We'll try to launch that before the end of the year. But the way I'm thinking about it is I will basically announce the book at the beginning of the year. We'll have some sort of like a, a you know, password, you know, code type of thing. Maybe it'll be like three or four bucks to, to be a part of this and you can kind of be in and we'll do like a private Zoom meeting type deal. And then we'll go over the notes from the book and we'll get your feedback and blah, 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 stuff like that. So I'll kind of look and see what's already out there in the marketplace and see what we can do better because I don't just want to like rehash something that someone is already, you know, doing really, really well. I would just send you there. You know what I mean? So we will certainly look at that and make that happen. But before we get into today's main topic, we will talk about the quick hitter segment. So in the quick hitter segment, we are going to be discussing an update on the 10 year old Ohio girl that crossed state lines in order to get an abortion. Apparently that was a true story. A good guy with a gun stopping a mass shooting at a mall in Indiana. LeBron James, the amazingly wonderful, smart LeBron James saying that Brittany Griner should reconsider whether or not she should come back to the United States after she gets out of Russian prison. That's a real thing that happened. Also, we have NASA's James Webb Space Telescope giving us the deepest looks into space that we've ever seen. And also the one and only Leah Thomas is poised to become the 2022 Woman of the Year, even though he's a dude. But we'll get to that here in just a second. But we need to talk about something that I've just been drowned with in the last you know week or so. And that is Jordan Peterson coming out swinging against Christian churches. So on July the 12th, Jordan Peterson released a video on his YouTube channel called Message to the Christian Churches. Okay, so uh, by the time you listen to this episode, it will likely have over 1 million views. I think when I last checked, it was like 943,000 in like four or five days. Tons of you guys sent this video to me to get my reaction. You just wanted to make sure that we could see it. I mean, I was getting text messages, DMs, emails, kind of the whole nine yards. And I just knew as soon as I saw the reaction you guys had to it, and I watched it myself, that we had to talk about it on the show. So this video is about 10 minutes long. I will put it in the show notes so you guys can check that out. He also released a video like a day later, which was a message to Muslims. It was about, it had about twice as many views. It was, you know, maybe six or seven minutes long. I really didn't think it was that good. I, I thought it was pretty weak overall. Again, I'm not the target audience because I'm not a Muslim and I don't go to a mosque or any of those types of things. But I thought the message in it was just kind of ho-hum. It was like, hey, you know, Sunnis and Shias, why don't you stop? squabbling with each other. And I was like, there's a little bit more to it than that. So wasn't really going to, I was going to basically do a review of both videos, but I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of meat on the bone on the Muslim one. So I wanted to focus on the one with Christian churches. Obviously, I think that would be more important for you guys and more interesting to you guys as well. But if you have not seen the video already, okay, the video again is in the show notes, but we're going to break down the entire thing right now. 
Okay, so if you want to watch it in all its glory all at once without me kind of coming in and out and kind of giving my my feedback, you can watch it there first, but then we're going to break it up. So if you're watching this on YouTube or Rumble, you will see the actual video of it. But again, if you're just listening to it, which is most of you, it will be here. Uh, you know, I'll just basically be giving you the audio in and out. So let's go ahead and go into it. This is Message to the Christian Churches. Here's the first clip here. Hi, all. It is, of course, completely presumptuous of me to dare to write and broadcast a video entitled Message to the Christian Churches, but I'm going to do it anyway because I have something to say and because that something needs to be said. So obviously right here from the beginning, he is a guy that, as you know, and if you've been following him for any length of time, he's not afraid to speak his mind. And, and I'm so glad that he does. And I think a lot of us, whether you're in the church or outside the church, you can get a lot of value from what Jordan Peterson says in his writings and especially in the things that he says in his speeches. So let's get back into it here. I've been speaking to and watching and listening to audiences all over the Western world for the past four years, in person and in virtual form, and have learned a few things in consequence. It all started in some sense with the lectures I did on Genesis in 2017, my family and I took a risk and rented out a theater in Toronto on the off chance that there might be an audience for what might be described as a psychological approach to our ancient stories. And lo and behold, and miracle of miracles, there was. So obviously he's talking about his biblical lecture series, which, you know, if you didn't know him from Bill C-16 in Canada and in his response to that, if you didn't know him from 12 Rules for Life, that's probably why you knew him because guys, those lectures have been viewed and listened to tens of millions of times. Like, you know, a lot of people watch it on YouTube. A lot of people have listened to him because he's put them on his podcast feed. I mean, just incredible. And it's, it's partially because the talks are so interesting. Obviously they can kind of stand alone as being an interesting thing, but it's also partially because a non-Christian clinical psychologist in Dr. Jordan B. Peterson takes the Holy Bible seemingly more seriously than many purported Christians do. I mean, he, he spends so much time in Genesis and he uses his decades-long work as a clinical psychologist to apply the, what we see in those stories, what we see from our historical holy texts, and brings it to life in a different way than maybe a pastor would. Not even maybe a pastor would, definitely than what a pastor would. All right, let's get back into it here. I completed 15 or so lectures walking through the first biblical book, sold out the theater, and attracted, surprisingly, millions of viewers, Christians, Jews, Muslims, and atheists, and most of the people who attended live, and the majority of those who watched online, were young men. That is not a phenomenon that can be easily accounted for, but let me try. So Jordan Peterson has literally been talking about this phenomenon for years, for years now. Like ever since he figured out that the majority of the people that were watching his YouTube channel were young men, he's been talking about this and been thinking about this because you would have thought it would have been a, a little bit more of a down the middle split. And that's been something that people have kind of come at him before. It's like, oh, you know, all these angry white men are watching Jordan Peterson videos and being radicalized or they're being preached to in a good way. They're being welcomed into a higher, you know, place and a higher value for themselves. We'll get more into that here in a second. But he spent, he has probably spent more time thinking about the plight of young men in Western society than just about anyone. 
There are some people that have wrote some fantastic books and we're working to get some of those people on here to talk about, you know, the crisis happening with boys and boyhood and, you know, on into, you know, pre-manhood and manhood and all those different things. And even all those people may have not spent as much time thinking about this as Jordan Peterson. And it has a lot to do with the phenomenon of his YouTube channel that came from these biblical lectures. All right, let's get back into it. Now in the West, because of the weight of historical guilt that is upon us, a variant of the sense of original sin in a very real sense, and because of a very real attempt by those possessed by what might be described as unhelpful ideas to weaponize that guilt, our young people face a demoralization that is perhaps unparalleled. This is particularly true of young men, although anything that devastates young men will eventually do the same to young women. And that, in this era of antinatalism and equally reprehensible nihilism, is precisely the point. I think this is great here where he starts to get into this whole concept of the demoralization of specifically young boys and the demoralization of them uh, specifically in the ways that are, they, they should be lifted up. A lot of young boys, a lot of things that they do are demonized. And when who they are as a person, their wiring is demonized. It's amazing how you can easily quash that person and crush them a little bit. And again, that doesn't just impact the young boys, because obviously we're in this complementarian relationship between young men and young uh, women. And then whenever they grow up between men and women, having this reciprocal relationship with one another that will lead to the flourishing of humanity. And if you start to attack that at the early stages of a boy's development, it's a big, big deal. So back into it here. When they are children, boys are hectored for their toy preferences, which often include toy weapons such as guns, and their more boisterous playing style, as boys require active rough and tumble play, even more than girls, for whom it is also a necessity. When in grade school, boys are admonished, shamed, and controlled in a very similar manner by those who think that play is unnecessary, particularly if it's competitive, and who value a docile, harmless obedience above all. Shades of Dolores Umbridge. So if you don't know who Dolores Umbridge is, I didn't either. I guess that's somebody from the Harry Potter books or the movies or whatever. So there you go for all you Harry Potter folks. But um, I love that he gets into this part. He's basically flowing on the fact that the K through 12 school system, so this could be public or private or whatever, it's being suited and best suited for compliant little girls. They want you to sit in rows. They want you to focus on the front of the class and they want you to do exactly what is expected of you, right? It doesn't really know what to do with excitable little boys. And probably the best example, you know, for me that hits close to home is my sister was one grade ahead of me and she and I are polar opposites, right? You know, I'm male, she's female, but I'm incredibly boisterous and, you know, class clown, those types of things. She was the quiet, reserved band kid that sat in the very, very front row, did her homework, turned her assignments in on time and and all those things and never, like, you know, she would have absolutely just melted into a puddle of disaster if a teacher had ever, like, gotten onto her for anything. Like, she was a rule follower. But that's what K-12 through school is for. It's for little girls like my sister was. And so it was always, you know, she, she and I had the same teachers. And so I would be coming in and they're thinking they're getting another kind of well-mannered, you know, down to earth, easy to control Thompson. And they got me, <laughs> you know, they got me instead. And so I love that he's talking about this because a lot of people are trying to figure out how they can create a better school specifically for energetic young boys. 
to not just create automatons out of them to just, you know, shove them into, you know, being, you know, in a cubicle farm and just trying to deal with it at some point down the road. So let's get back into it here. Following all that, because that's not enough, even when pursued assiduously for total demoralization, is the inculcation of an extremely damaging ideology, which essentially consists of three accusations. Number one, human culture, particularly in the West, is best construed as an oppressive patriarchy, motivated by the desire, willingness, and ability to use power, defined as the compulsion of others against their will, to attain what are purely selfish and self-serving ends. This is true at every level of analysis. Marriage is akin to slavery, friendship to exploitation, political disagreement to war, and business arrangements to deception and theft. And this is true not only of the current social arrangements that characterize our culture, particularly in the West, but also the fundamental reality of history itself. So I think it's important here that we get into the discussion of patriarchy. So this is his first accusation, essentially just to kind of sum it up. Patriarchy defines Western culture and he he defines it in a negative way. Essentially, the patriarchy is the great devil. And if you can frame it that way, then everything that you do that is, you know, anti the patriarchy is a good and moral thing to do. And so I'm actually working my way through a book right now. I'm still really, really early in it. So it's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. So this is by Carl Truman. And so we get into a little bit of the patriarchy in this. And again, I'm only about a quarter of the way through this. You know, we're hoping to have him on the show here very, very soon. A lot of people have pointed to this book as a descriptor of our current cultural moment and all the negative things therein. But it talks about the patriarchy in here. It talks about kind of where these ideologies come from. And obviously, Jordan Peterson has, you know, seen a lot of this and the stuff that he's done and the attacking of the patriarchy. And, you know, basically, if you say the patriarchy, everybody just assumes, oh, yeah, that big negative thing. Right. Even though that's not exactly the case and it shouldn't work out that way. But let's get back into it here. Accusation number two. Human activity, particularly that undertaken in the West, is fundamentally a planet-despoiling enterprise. The human race is a threat to the ecological utopia that existed before us and that could hypothetically exist in our absence. We might well be construed even as a cancer that threatens the very viability of the complex systems that make up the ecosystem of the Earth that shelters and supports us. We are facing a Malthusian catastrophe of overpopulation and biosphere degradation. And we have to place extreme limits on our wants, even our needs, so that survival itself, even in a much reduced form, can be guaranteed. So obviously this isn't the main point of this entire video, but in accusation number two, you see that human activity, especially here in the West, is a cancer to the earth. Okay, so this is basically the the basis. This is a scaffolding of the anti-human, anti-natalist, you know, green policies that we see. And the funny thing about that is with a lot of these green policy people that are, oh, we need less humans and we need to kind of curtail that. They're never willing to start with themselves or their families. It's always you and your family, right? Like you shouldn't have kids because of global warming or something. So I like that he throws that in here. But again, that accusation plays into a lot of the stuff that we're seeing with this entire concept. So back to it. Accusation number three. The prime contributor both to the tyranny that makes up the oppressive patriarchy and structures all of our social interactions, past and present, and the unforgivable despoiling of our beloved Mother Earth is damnable male ambition 
competitive and dominating, power-mad, selfish, exploitative, raping and pillaging. You might think that I'm overstating the case. Think again, sunshine. We in the West are facing an all-out assault at the deepest levels on what that old joker Jacques Derrida deemed the fell logocentric conceptual structure of civilization itself. So let's get into that a little bit. This is accusation three. Male ambition is the gasoline essentially to the fire that destroys all things. But you heard a couple things there. Jacques Derrida and phallogocentrism. You may not be familiar with those things. So Jacques Derrida is a French philosopher. I guess all horrible things come out of France. And he's still alive today. So this is a guy that's still kind of spouting a lot of his nonsense. But phallogocentrism, this is actually like a conglomeration of a bunch of different words. But it's referring to the, the privileging of masculine in the construction of meaning. And so masculine, phallus, right? Phal logocentrism. So it's focusing on the logos or logos of uh, the construction of meaning around the masculine point of view. So back to it here. To take that apart, that's a society centered on the encouraging, adventurous, masculine spirit. And that privileges that hated word of all things, the divine logos. And what should we worship? and celebrate properly. Other than that, deconstructionists, the words of that mass murderer Karl Marx, and it is precisely those young men who are deeply conscientious, capable of guilt and regret, who have come to believe in pain that every deep impulse that moves them out into the world for the adventure of their life, even that impulse drawing them to women, is nothing but the manifestation of a spirit that is essentially satanic in nature. This is not only wrong theologically, morally, psychologically, practically, and scientifically. It is literally anti-true. It's not a mere misstatement about the nature of reality, a minor conceptual error, but something that literally could not be farther from the truth. And something that distant from the truth comes from a place that cannot be distinguished from hell. So there's a lot to get in here, into here, but I love the shot that he takes at the deconstructionists because almost all the deconstructionists that we see in our culture, they would all tell us to follow the words of Karl Marx. You would, you would be hard-pressed to find a deconstructionist that rejects Karl Marx and the things that he said, specifically in the Communist Manifesto, but also in his other writings. And that's a very, very important thing. So I like the shot he takes there. But again, kind of the, the main point of that little, uh, you know, that little setup there and all the stuff that he talked to in that little section is if you want to ruin manhood, you know, and manliness and masculinity, all those things, you must, you have to force young men, especially highly driven young men and force them and tell them and, and enforce upon them that all of their impulses are wrong and should be suppressed. That's how you ruin it. Right. But that's also how you ruin society because men are the builders of society. We see that all the way back to biblical times. We see that throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, that men are the builders of society. And we do that in concert and in a complementary relationship with the women of society, okay? And the children of society, I guess you could put it that way. But again, how do you destroy society from the inside out? You have to attack manhood. Well, it's harder to attack an adult man whose brain is fully developed, who already has his ways of thinking and ways of operating. So what do you do? You attack the young men, right? But now... This, this next section here, or really the, the last entire part of this video, we're about a little bit over halfway. He's going to start going in on Christian churches, and he set it up 
incredibly well with the first, you know, six or so, seven or minutes or so of this entire video. So let's get back to it. The Christian church is there to remind people, young men included, and perhaps even first and foremost, that they have a woman to find, a garden to walk in, a family to nurture, an ark to build, a land to conquer, a ladder to heaven to build, and the utter terrible catastrophe of life to face stalwartly in truth, devoted to love and without fear. So in this section, he's invoking a bunch of biblical imagery in order to call boys into manhood. So if you go back to some of our interviews that we've done with John Eldridge, that's the thing that we're talking about. You know, you can talk about rites of passage, you can talk about, you know, becoming a better man, a better father, a better husband, all those different things. But what we need from fathers and from the church is that we're calling boys into a higher version of themselves, into the higher calling of true biblical manhood. Back to it here. Invite the young men back. Say literally to those young men, you are welcome here. If no one else wants what you have to offer, we do. We want to call you to the highest purpose of your life. We want your time and energy and effort and your will and your goodwill. We want to work with you to make things better, to produce life more abundant for you and for your wife and children and for your community and your country and the world. Every single pastor listening to this needs to go back and listen to that section again. And then once you've done that, listen to it again and again and again, and then seven more times and then a thousand more times after that. And for those of you that have a good relationship with the pastors that work in your church, you need to show them this entire video, but also have them focus in really on this back half. Because again, the quote there from him was, invite the young men back. Say literally to those young men, you are welcome here. Because I've talked about, uh, as I've talked about a lot on this show, is most churches have created an environment where it's basically telling the men, you're not really needed. We've got this. We've got the professional Christians on staff, and then we've got all the volunteer women that will take care of business. We don't need you here. And to the young men, right? So, you know, whatever that looks like to you, maybe that's a 12-year-old or a 22-year-old or whatever. To the young men, there's no place for them. Nothing really fits. When you see a young man volunteering a whole bunch at church, you almost kind of look at them a scan, like, you know, what's his angle? What's he doing? Is he trying to sell stuff? Is he trying to get in with all these people so he can have power? It's that type of an environment because we've created non-man friendly churches. But imagine if you were part of the church, if you were part of the revolution to welcome these men through these doors saying, not only do we have a place for you, we need you. Back to it. And we have our problems. In the Christian church, we are moribund and sometimes far too often corrupt and sometimes deeply so. We are outdated, as are all institutions with their roots in the dead but still often wise past. So join us. We'll help fix you up and you can help fix us up. And together, we'll aim up. I absolutely love this section because the message for the church and to church leaders to young men is this. We will not fault you. This is what it should be anyway. We will not fault you for your manly wiring. We will use it. We will help you channel that energy as you help us eradicate our problems. 
right? So there are a lot of kind of masculine-centered preachers and pastors out there. You know, uh, Mark Driscoll's the one that comes to mind. Everybody loves to beat that guy up. And again, he, some of the stuff he, he absolutely deserves, but he's always focused on the men. And he's never faulted them for their wiring. He never treated them as if they were this broken thing that needed to be feminized in order to be controlled. He's never done that. And I think that's very, very important because if you're a pastor, you should not want to take those things away from that man. God made men that way for a purpose. And it's your job to make sure that can be used within the flock. I absolutely love that part of it. Back to it here. And here's a message to those young men skeptical about such things. What else do you have? You can abandon the churches in your cynicism and disbelief. You can say to yourself narcissistically and solipsistically, the church does not express what I believe properly. Who cares what you believe? Why is this about you? Do you even want it to be about you? What if it was about others? What if it was about your duty to the past and to the broader community that surrounds you in the present? What if it was incumbent upon you and vital to your health and willingness even to live to rescue your dead father from the belly of the beast where he has always resided and to restore him to life? So one thing I love from the beginning of that section is he says, basically, who cares what you believe? Why is this about you? And the reason why he's saying that is because he's calling young men away from narcissism. He's saying, let's separate ourselves off from this overwhelming focus on the self. That's another thing from Carl Truman's book that I'm getting into right now. Calling their attention back to where it should have been all along. And that's to their greater family and to the surrounding community. Because again, we're not encouraged to do that in our TikTok, Instagram, focus on me generation. Everything's about becoming an influencer and becoming the center point, you know, and everybody revolving around you as opposed to you trying to see what you can do to help those around you. We don't encourage that anymore. And the church has done a really, really poor job of doing that. Part of it is we've lifted up all these megachurch pastors where it's like, they're not pastors anymore, they're influencers. Like these megachurch pastors, they're not the ones holding the hands of people dying in hospitals. They're not the ones doing, you know, marriage counseling. They've hired staff to do that. So they get to play celebrity CEO, and then they let everybody else deal with the professional Christian stuff. And then we're shocked when even kids in the church are focusing on themselves. You know, they're looking at their pastors, got a million or two million followers on Instagram. They're like, I want to be that someday. I want to be an influencer pastor. I want to be able to sell, you know, a whole bunch of books through, through all these cool publishers. And again, Ultimately, there's nothing wrong with that, if, but the, the, you should see how that could become an issue for the people that are in your community. And again, when your church is so big that your pastor can't even give you the names of 200 people that, that go to church there, how could they possibly be, be in charge of the health of every single person in the flock? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Again, we're calling and should be calling these men, these young men away from their own personal narcissism to get them to focus on things outside of themselves. And you as a church and as a pastor and as a leader should be modeling that. All right, back to it. Once again, to the churches, Protestant, you're the worst at the moment. Catholic, Orthodox, invite young men, put up a billboard, say, young men are welcome here. Print some flyers and put them in a box by the billboard. 
signal the existence of those flyers with an arrow, with the words, more information about attending here. Tell those who have never been in a church exactly what to do, how to dress, when to show up, who to contact, and most importantly, what they can do. Ask more, not less, of those you are inviting. Ask more of them than anyone ever has. This section is absolute gold, and there's only one more section after this. But he says, rightly, rightly so from the very beginning, that Protestants are the worst at this. He's 100% right, okay? We as Protestants expect way too little, and then we get exactly that or worse. That's exactly what happens. Because again, we're in this very influencer-driven church environment to where it's seeker-sensitive, and we don't want to say anything or do anything or talk about any subjects that could ruffle any feathers and then get people not to show up. Again, it's, it's kind of the, you know, the Burger King model. Like we're going to do, uh, we're going to have all these different Burger King set up and we're going to have this model and we want to make sure that everything kind of still flows through our central organization. But, you know, we want to have, you know, a footprint, in all these other different areas and all these other different things, but we don't really want to ask too much of people. We might ask them to join a small group or a home group or something like that. We might ask them to volunteer here or there, but you know, we, we don't want to pry and we don't want to press. And, you know, we might ask you to do a little bit of theological reading, but who, who am I kidding? Like, let's just make sure you keep coming in and getting your donuts and your coffee and go in there for the light show and then go in and get your TED talk with your Bible verses and all those types of things. That's basically what the Protestant church has devolved into in a lot of areas. Okay. But then also in this section, Jordan Peterson hits this again. You are welcome here. I Like literally imagine if you took him literally and in your church this weekend, you put up a big sign on cardboard or poster board or whatever and just said, Men are welcome here. Young men are welcome here. And just having that up, some people might look at that and that would be a little bit weird. Some of the more feministy people in your myths, myths might be like, oh, that's, why aren't they talking about the women? Why aren't they just talking about the men? But just imagine the impact that would have on the men that see that because they're going to internalize that and be like, oh, I guess I am welcome here. Well, the sign said so. Like uh, dudes are pretty simple, right? Some, for some of them, that's all you really need. And then also, he hits on the section of ask more. Ask more, not less, of the people you're inviting to be a part of your flock. And we get this in Protestantism. We get this so, so unbelievably wrong, right? Now, if you're in some uh, more of the advanced theological churches and things like that, they ask a lot of their people because they take discipleship seriously. So you're not only going to come to this church, you're going to become a member. And you're not just going to become a member. You're going to volunteer. You're, you're going to be a part of what we're doing here. Not only are you going to volunteer, you're going to be discipling others while others are discipling you. You're going to follow the pastor as the pastor follows Jesus. Like we're going to take all these things very, very, very seriously. But most churches don't do that. Again, we want to ask the minimum amount from you. We want you to show up and we don't even care if you show up on time. You can show up a little late. No big deal. No big deal. Right? We just want you to, we just want you to come. And we want you to enjoy yourself. We don't even care if you pay attention that much, but then that, that's it. And if you come once or twice a month or something like that and take a few months off, we won't notice because there's so many people around. How could we possibly notice whether or not you were there? Again, asking more of the people is a huge deal and a big deal because again, if you set the bar really, really high and people don't hit it, they're probably still going to land higher than they did had you set the bar really, really, really low to begin with. All right, guys, let's get to the very last section of it here. Remind them who they are in the deepest sense and help them 
become that. Your churches, for God's sake, quit fighting for social justice. Quit saving the bloody planet. Attend to some souls. That's what you're supposed to do. That's your holy duty. Do it now before it's too late. And the hour is nigh. So that's how he ends it. And I'll just go ahead and redo the quote he did here. Quit fighting for social justice. Quit saving the bloody planet. Attend to some souls. That's what you're supposed to do. That's your holy duty. Do it now before it's too late. The hour is nigh. That's the message. Because what are churches focusing on right now? They're focusing on social justice, but not social justice undergirded by scripture. No, 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 no. Undergirded by critical theory, which is undergirded by the Frankfurt School, which is undergirded by the writings of Karl Marx, one of the most evil people to have ever lived, right? And the guy that has set up more evil people to do more evil than maybe anybody that's ever lived, okay? Quit saving the bloody planet. Because again, we were given this planet as a gift and given it to work it and keep it. But whenever you worship at the altar of Mother Nature, and I know some people like I'll mention Mother Nature uh, in this podcast, and I always mention it in the concept of working out. I'm like, hey, you know, with Mother Nature in the human body, you can do a whole lot. And people get really, really weird about that. Like, guys, I'm obviously not saying you should worship at the altar of Mother Nature. I'm using the, that phrase colloquially. But at the same time, there are a lot of people, even Christians, that really would want to do things that would more so benefit a tree or an animal and not an image bearer of Christ not somebody that has the Imago Dei. Attend to some souls. I, just think about that one line. If in your next church board meeting or something like that, or whatever you do, your next prayer meeting, if you just wrote that across the top of the board or across the top of the, the pamphlet that you give to everybody or the itinerary for the meeting, attend to some souls. Yeah, we can worry about, you know, raise enough money to do this thing later, but let's attend to some souls. Yeah, yeah, you know what? We could really kind of figure out what's going to be that next big thing for our band and so we can get more, you know, people liking us on Instagram and different things like how about we attend to some souls? Because Jordan Peterson is absolutely right. Again, that that's our holy duty as a church is to do that. And there will be a time when we can't do that anymore. So a couple of uh, quick overall thoughts. The first thing and you know, here we are, you know, about a half hour in or so, before anyone reminds me, I know Jordan Peterson isn't a Christian. I know that. Now, I think he's close. <laughs> I think that God is calling him, and whether you're, you know, Armenian or you're a Calvinist or you're something in between or something on the other ends of the spectrum or whatever, like maybe, maybe you think it's coming, maybe you think it's not coming. I know he's not a Christian. But even though he's not a Christian in any sense that any of us would define him as, is his message wrong? Because some people will want to dismiss this outright and say, well, he's not a pastor. He's not a theologian. He's never gone to divinity school. Why can he say all these things? As opposed to just judging whether or not what he's saying is real and accurate and should be taken seriously. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to prove that he's not somebody that we should take seriously on this issue and to say that he's wrong about what he's claiming or saying should happen. Because here's another thing. If we, you know, the church, the greater church, Take his message seriously, just in this video, not his hours and hours and hours of stuff he's done on YouTube or his books or any of that, just this 10-minute YouTube video. If we took this seriously, it will literally change the world. 
And that's every, you know, uh, influencer and, you know, uh, self-help book person's favorite thing to say, ah, we're going to change the world. But we're talking about this literally. It would literally change the world. Think about fatherlessness. If the church took this claim seriously and discipled fathers and helped them to disciple and catechize their families and their children, wouldn't the rates of fatherlessness tank, go through the basement? You best believe they would. What about uninitiated sons? Right? We've talked about that a lot. That's something that he has talked a lot about is when you look at these young men, specifically ones that are doing these violent crimes, mass shootings, things like that. These are uninitiated young men that are trying to show their competence somehow. They're desperately trying to show their competence. Like, look what I can do. Look, I'm actually powerful. I've been rejected by my father. I've been rejected by my family. I've been rejected by women. I've been rejected by my community. But now they're going to see what I can do when I'm, I'm, whenever I'm in control. Don't you think we'll see that go through the basement as well? Again, as I mentioned before, whenever I talked about, you know, the stuff that happened in Uvalde and all these other places, no one wants to talk about how we can actually solve mass shootings. They just want to hit the easy button, but it's uninitiated boys that are doing these things. Why are they uninitiated? Because their fathers aren't around. Why are their fathers not around? Because the greater community has allowed them to leave their families. Can you imagine if a dude, like if a dude in my foxhole tried to leave his family behind? There would be about six of us piling into one of our trucks and we would take off and find that person, beat them near to death and drag them back home and say, you're going to be a dad. You're going to be a husband, right? And we're not doing that just because, you know, we're a bunch of dudes and we like, we like Jocko and we like drinking beer and eating beef jerky and all those different things. We're doing that because we know that's what Christ would want us to do. To get that man back into his family to where there would be some level of accountability so that his family can continue uninterrupted. But also, look at the declining rates of faith in God and church attendance in the West. Don't you think if churches took what Jordan Peterson said in this seriously and literally, that that would aid in that? In, in a good way, I mean, basically sending it the other direction, where we would see an increase in faith in God, in belief in God overall and in church attendance, and all those different things. And this takes me back to the scripture that I mentioned from the very top of the episode. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Okay? Jordan Peterson is calling the church to help them turn boys into men. He is imploring churches to welcome young men into manhood. Again, this is a guy that does not have, you you know, he's not a Christian. He's not saved, but he has a Judeo-Christian ethic and he understands that ethic perhaps better than any of us, right? And he's desperately asking the churches to say to young men and men in general, you're welcome here. This is a good thing. Because how does a child learn to not speak like a child or think like a child or reason like a child? How do they learn to actually become a man if they're actually initiated and welcomed into manhood? They're not self-initiating, right? They moved out of the house. They just had sex. They got their first job. They bought their first vehicle. Whatever they make up as the reason that they're a man now, that should not be up to them to determine. It should be up to us as fathers and us as the greater community of fathers to make sure that these young men know now what is required of them. So 
absolutely fantastic video. I think there is a whole lot uh, that we can get to from there. Uh, hopefully, I've done it justice for those of you that had not seen it before. But without further ado, we should probably get into some quick hitters. So in the quick hitter segment, we're going to be discussing a lot of different things. But the very, very first thing that we need to talk about is an update on a story that I talked about last week. So last week, we talked about the 10-year-old Ohio girl. Uh, you know, that cross state lines in order to get an abortion. But, you know, in that episode, I said it, it seemed like it didn't even happen. And a lot of commentators, especially on the right, were like, there doesn't seem to be any evidence for this. It seemed like Joe Biden was just making something up or just kind of, you know, spitting it out. But, you know, as lo and behold, as more time went by, it seems to be your true story. So this is according to the Daily Wire. A Telemundo reporter confirmed on Friday that alleged rapist Gerson Fuentes is involved in a domestic relationship with the mother of the 10-year-old girl he was charged with raping. According to a recent Telemundo report, a woman claiming to be the mother of the young rape victim, whose tragic case sparked debate about when exceptions should be made for abortions even in states where there are subjects to broader restrictions, told a reporter that the media was lying about Fuentes. The Friday report raised questions about whether the woman was attempting to protect Fuentes because she was involved personally with the accused as one woman who claimed to know her said that she was. Telemundo's uh, Maria Vargas Peon confirms domestic relationship in horrendous Ohio rape case, the Media Research Center's Jorge Bonillo tweeted, adding, it is in fact a domestic relationship and there are additional children in the household. Horrendous. So here's the thing with the story is I did want to kind of correct the record because last week I was one of the people that jumped on and said, hey, this doesn't seem to be true. There's no report that's been filed because when there is a rape of a minor, there has to be in that state, there has to be a police report filed. And apparently there was no police report. Now, it's kind of random, the timing that it comes out like that. You have the mother saying this didn't happen. Is she on the take? Is, is she trying to protect this guy? Was this guy, you know, did the mother know that the daughter was being raped. Apparently the first rape occurred in this, in, in this particular case when the, when the girl was nine years old and she was impregnated when she was 10. Like there, there's a lot of things around here that we still don't know the answers to, but I did want to correct the record and say this, that this did happen. But people are literally trying to dunk on people on the right and conservatives right now for denying the story. But guys, again, there was literally no evidence whatsoever that this actually happened when Joe Biden said it. None. None at all. Because here's the thing, guys, you only get to dunk on people if the evidence comes out and they stick to their original story. Like a lot of people on the left side of the aisle love to do. Yeah, the initial, and look at any any shooting involving a white police officer and a black, you know, black guy. And if that person is killed, we always look at that. And it's always this big reaction to like another black man is targeted and killed by a white, you know, racist police officer and all those things. And then it comes out to where it's like, oh, that person was shooting a bunch of people. And it just tried to run over three other cops with his car before one cop decided to shoot him in the face, which is exactly what he deserved to get at that moment was a bullet to the brain. And then we don't talk about it anymore. Right. No one tries to correct the record. We just move on to the next story. There was one that came up in the last week that I don't even feel the need to talk about because it was that exact same scenario. This guy was basically shooting into a adjoining apartment before he was shot and killed by police. He almost killed a woman and her kids. Right. And we're supposed to feel bad for this guy. But again, you only get to dunk on people if the new evidence comes out and they stick to their original story, not if uh, they went by the available data at that point. But here's the other thing. Fuentes is an illegal immigrant from Guatemala. So this is a great time to talk about how there are illegal immigrants that come to this country and do heinous, horrific crimes, crimes that they would not have been able to commit had we had a secure southern border. Now, a lot of people get real uncomfortable when we start talking about illegal immigration, but Fuentes should not have been in this country. 
Okay. He should not have been anywhere near that young girl or that family or that town that he was in. He shouldn't have been in Ohio. He should have been in Central or South America. But we have this wide open southern border because that is exactly what Democrats like Joe Biden want. They want as many of these people as possible because at some point they know down the line there's going to be blanket amnesty for everyone that is in this country and they're going to be given citizenship. And then you've just created your voting block, right? But the big takeaway from this story, and again, this is going to make some people uncomfortable considering the circumstances, but if you've listened to my show for any length of time, you knew this was coming. Child rapists should be killed, not their offspring. Again, I know that sounds pretty crazy because we're talking about a 10-year-old girl that was raped and impregnated, but the baby that was in her belly did nothing wrong. Fuentes did. I would have loved if a local sheriff would have just taken Fuentes outside of the city limits, put a bullet in the back of his brain, and then sent a, you know, a letter back to his family in Guatemala or somewhere else where they could pick up his rotting body because they could just you know, waltz right through the southern border and come get it and maybe take it back or stay for a while or forever, right? But I, I, have no, I have no appetite for people that want to double the amount of pain in a situation. Because it went from a rape and an impregnation of an innocent little girl to the murder of an innocent little baby on top of that. Because guess what didn't happen? Killing the baby in that little girl's womb didn't erase the rape. And it also didn't punish Fuentes. So I know that's hard for a lot of people to hear. Just is what it is. All right, next quick hitter here. A good guy with a gun stopped a mass shooting in a mall in Indiana. So this is according to the Federalist. Less than three weeks after Indiana's new constitutional carry law went into effect, an armed bystander shot and killed an assailant suspected of fatally shooting three people and injuring two others in an Indiana mall on Sunday evening. Reports of the shooting in the Greenwood Park Mall began around 6 p.m. on Sunday when an unarmed, uh, sorry, unnamed gunman opened fire in the food court. After striking at least one male and four females, including a 12-year-old girl, the suspected the suspected shooter was quickly quickly shot and killed by a bystander who observed the shooting in progress. As of Monday morning, police had not released the identity of the man who shot the gunman, but local news reports indicated he is a 22-year-old from a nearby Bartholomew County. The real hero of the day is the citizen that was lawfully carrying a firearm in the food court and was able to stop the shooter almost as soon as he began. This was a quote by Greenwood Police Chief Jim Eisen. Um, and, and you know what? I was just looking around this morning. I'm actually just going to kind of do this live. I'm going to look up this story because... Um, I think we have that person's name. And if we have his name, if it's been released, I want to make sure that that kid, uh, okay, here we go. Uh, looks like the guy's name is, mm, sorry, doing it live, doing it live. Uh, Elijah Dickin. Okay. This is how he spells his first name. E L I S J S H A. Elijah. Sorry, kid. Elijah Dickin. Okay, so this is a 22-year-old that literally was carrying, and the reason that he was carrying is because just a couple of weeks uh, before all this went down, they allowed constitutional carry. The kid was allowed to carry. He didn't have to wait you know, for a license to come in from the government and all that, and he was in the food court. And, and guys, I, I couldn't uh, help but notice that this is the exact scenario that I've used so many times before on this show. Like if I were to do something crazy, I would go to a food court in a mall and almost every mall in America is a gun-free zone. So it's still to be determined whether or not this young kid is going to be brought up on any charges because he was carrying a firearm in a place where you weren't allowed to have a firearm. Now, the gunmen who pulled out a rifle and started murdering people 
also was doing the same thing. He didn't pay attention to that stupid little sticker on the window, perhaps because he was a criminal. So this is a good example for people that love gun-free zones. They think gun-free zones are the best and gun-free zones and stickers prevent crimes. Well, guess what? Two people were breaking the law and breaking, well, in some places it's not actually the law. You're breaking the regulations of a business. Both of these people in this scenario were. One was a good good guy, right? A sheepdog. And one was a wolf. And thank God the sheepdog was there. But I've given that exact scenario. Every time I walk into a mall with, with my gun on me, I look at that sticker and I snicker. And I'm like, well, if I'm walking through the food court and someone decides to shoot the place up and they're between me and my exit, sorry, I'm going to have to kill that person if I can, right? So the other thing that we notice about this story is except on certain right-wing sites, this has already left the headlines. I mean, almost immediately, this just happened, what, Sunday, right? And here it is, I'm recording this on Tuesday. It almost immediately left the headlines. Why? Because it doesn't fit the desired narrative. Because the narrative that we need is black, innocent black man shot by racist white cop. The narrative that we need is white supremacist goes in and shoots black people in a grocery store. The narrative that we need is evil, uh, you know, gun finds its way into a school and shoots 19 kids and two teachers. That's the narrative that we need. Not, I guess a good guy with a gun can stop a bad guy with a gun. Because that, that, again, doesn't follow the narrative. And again, thank God for this sheepdog. Thank God for this kid whose name I can't possibly spell or pronounce. Thank God that he was there. Because only three people that didn't deserve to die died that day. Because four people died. One of them was a shooter. But think about what would happen if he, had he not been there. The police were probably minutes away, right? Three, four minutes away. Because again, this is one of those scenarios that when seconds count, help is always minutes away. Maybe this mall had a mall cop or two. A lot of these malls don't have mall cops that are even armed. They just have badges, right? They can't even do it. They don't even have batons. Like, I don't even know if they have like tasers or mace or anything like that. They've got a belt with a bunch of random crap on it. But when seconds count, help is minutes away. Luckily, this guy was there and he reacted within milliseconds. So the big takeaway for me on this story is unless the bad guy kills himself, it is always a good guy with a gun that stops a bad guy with a gun. Always. So these idiots that love to, you know, say we should get rid of our guns and these Christian uh, morons and these pacifists that think like, oh, we, we shouldn't have guns. And, you know, that's that's what's creating all these issues is just the existence of these machines. Again, in the hands of a righteous moral actor, it is always a positive thing. Because in all these scenarios, unless the person turns the gun on themselves and eats the bullet before the good guys get to them, it's either a good Samaritan good guy or a professional good guy, like a cop or, you know, SWAT team or military or something like that. It's always how these things end. When have you ever heard of a scenario where the bad guy just decided, ah, I guess I'm done killing. Let me just safely put my guns back into their cases and put them into the safe. And then I'll just go on the run. You know, I'll just be a fugitive. No, that's not how these scenarios go. They kill themselves or they're killed by a good guy. I'm so, so unbelievably glad that there was a good guy there that day. All right, next quick hitter here, LeBron James. Oh, I just hate saying the dude's name. He used to be so much fun to watch that guy and be around that guy and do all those things. God, this guy sucks. So LeBron James says that Brittany Griner should consider not coming back to the U.S. after she eventually gets out of a Russian 
prison. So again, Brittany Griner, she's the WNBA star that we talked about, I think, on last week's episode. So this is according to Yahoo News. NBA star LeBron James questioned if WNBA star Brittany Griner should return to the United States whenever she is released from her incarceration in Russia. The Los Angeles Lakers star made the comment about the Phoenix Mercury star in a trailer for his show, The Shop, which is scheduled to air on Friday. This was, I believe, last Friday on Uninterrupted's YouTube channel. So this is his quote here. Now, how can she feel like America has her back? I would be feeling like, do I even want to go back to America? Again, he is, he is the intellectual center of everything. He is the intellectual star, paragon of virtue of our time, this LeBron James. So I'm going to go right to my big takeaway here on this one. In addition to being a legitimately stupid person, which if you've listened to LeBron James actually talk before, whenever he didn't have a plan in place, like I remember years ago when he had the, the autobiography or biography of Malcolm X in his hand and someone asked him about it. And it was like a kid who definitely didn't do the reading, tried to explain what they like about the book. This is a legitimately dumb person. But in addition to him being legitimately really, really stupid, LeBron James is one of the least appreciative human beings on planet Earth. LeBron James, in a lot of ways, has led an incredibly charmed life. Now, he didn't have the easiest childhood. I believe he didn't have his dad around. Akron, Ohio, isn't the most wonderful place to raise a family. Like it wasn't a perfect non-bumpy road because most of us haven't experienced a perfect non-bumpy road. But from the age of like 13, he's been a celebrity. From, from in his teenage years, he's been able to support himself and his entire family financially. You know, a lot of it under the table. But we knew who this guy was when he was a teenager. And we knew who he was when he was drafted first overall by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And we've known who he is. And he's now literally one of the most famous people to have ever existed. And he's one of the richest people on planet Earth. He's a billionaire. He's a billionaire. But every chance he gets to, no pun intended, dunk on a white police officer that makes the right call and shoots and kills a black person, he does so. And he acts as if he is scared to go out in public because he's black. Now, I know this to be the case because, you know, whenever I was doing a lot of stuff with the Oklahoma City Thunder and, you know, this was years ago when I was really paying attention to the NBA, I know for a fact that LeBron James and his entire teammates, I think he was on the heat at the time, walked through Bricktown, which is kind of like the, you know, the restaurant and, you know, uh, concert district of Oklahoma City. They were just walking around. They didn't have armed guards. They didn't have a police escort. So this black man wearing a hoodie, mind you, I know he was wearing a hoodie at the time, and he's 6'8". 250 pounds, sticks out like a sore thumb, was just walking through a highly white populated state. And he didn't seem to be hiding behind trash cans, diving behind poles, trying to make sure no one saw him. He was just walking around. Why? Because he knew he was safe. He knew he was safe. He knows for a fact that he's not being hunted, that he's not being targeted, that a white police officer isn't just waiting for that moment when LeBron James is in his crosshairs and he could pull the trigger and take him out. He knows that. But again, that doesn't feed into his narrative. His narrative is that we live in this racist, oppressive country, and that's how he is going to hang his hat, especially after his playing days are over. So uh, my understanding is he's still playing well into old age. You know, he's going to be the Tom Brady of the NBA and just play forever and ever and get all the records and still not be the greatest. Sorry, that's still going to be MJ forever. But at the same time, how can this man, who has become a billionaire as a black man in this country, not be appreciative of this country? So much so, that he floats the idea that another black person should want to stay in another country and not come back to the greatest country and the most accepting country of black people on planet Earth. 
I, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. Now, in the, in the days following this, he's tried to walk it back and he's tried to add a little bit of nuance to it and all these different things. But at the end of the day, he said what he said and he meant what he said, right? But now it's his PR team and it's his publicist and all these people that need to make sure he doesn't piss off the, the people at Nike and the people in China that he's getting paid by. He has to make sure that he keeps his brand alive. And a lot of people that hear that, that love America, are going to hear one of America's brightest shining stars say something like that and then not want to go buy his sneakers. So just he's an unbelievably pathetic human being, one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen in our entire life, perhaps the greatest athlete not the greatest player, but the greatest athlete that we've ever seen in the history of sports in this country. But he's a gigantic turd at the end of the day. So what can you do? All right, next one here. NASA's James Webb Space Telescope, give, uh, telescope rather gives us a deep look into deep space. So this is according to phys.org. I think it's short for physics.org. But billions of years ago, long before the swirling cloud of gas and dust coalesced to form the sun, light left the earliest stars and began a long journey through space. The light has been traveling ever since, covering trillions upon trillions of miles. It hurtled by galaxies and their nascent stars, some of which were accompanied by planets. And on one of these, a species evolved and the ability not only to question what might be out there, but build tools to see what its own eyes could not. On Monday, the world got its first glimpse of that uh, first glimpse of that ancient light courtesy of NASA's James Webb Space Telescope, the most sophisticated and ambitious deep space viewing tool yet assembled. Webb is a successor to the Hubble Space Telescope, which transformed science's understanding of the vastness of the universe. One of the Hubble's most famous images, the extreme deep field, shows flecks of light representing some 5,500 galaxies, the faintest of which enabled us to look back in time 13.2 billion years. Webb allows astronomer, astronomers to zoom in on Hubble's faintest flex. So most of you have seen this by now. You've seen the pictures. You'll have a link in the show notes. But the picture, the kind of the first image that was released from this new telescope, it showed, it apparently showed images of colors that humans have never seen before. So I don't really know about Pantones and, and, and all the different stuff and, and kind of what goes into a particular cover color and what differentiates this blue versus that blue. But apparently there were hues that had never once been seen by human eyes ever in history. And the images are just incredible. It's taking pictures of planets and you're getting these up close, like high definition, you know, pictures of these planets and all these different things. And it's awesome. And again, I'm reading from a scientific website. So they're talking about evolution, all those different things. But here's my big takeaway on this one, you know, outside of the images, which you can all check out for yourself. This puts even more pressure on young earth creationists to come up with something better to defend their position. So I haven't talked about this a lot on this show, but I do not buy the young earth creationist view on, on where we're at, that the earth is 6,000 years old and they're, they're doing math based on scripture. And that does not mean that I don't take the scripture seriously, but there's a lot of problems with the worldview that I think most uh, young earth creationists don't really deal with, right? And, and the first thing is the fact that I think it wasn't until the third day that we had the sun and the moon and all the, and all these different things, the things that we know, the sun going up and the sun coming back down, that creates a day. And so when you see day described in Genesis and you think 24 hour day, it doesn't make sense based on all the other tools that God gave us in physics, astrophysics, in biology, chemistry, like it, it doesn't make sense. But even beyond that, with a lot of people that have this viewpoint, this is their main argument on young earth. Because whenever you say, look, uh, when we go down these, these, uh, ice holes in Antarctica, it shows this much, uh, this much aging. If you look at the rings of this tree, or if you look at the carbon dating on this, and I know there's problems with carbon dating and all that, but they say God created everything. So he certainly also had to have created the appearance 
of age. That is a common thing I hear from young earth creationists. It makes no sense whatsoever. Why would God try to trick us? Right? Because tricking somebody is a form of lying, right? So God, the arbiter of morality that gave us a moral code with which to differentiate between good and evil is tricking us. And then their response to that is, oh, well, he's testing our faith. Using dinosaur bones? Using light traveling trillions of miles through space to the lens of a telescope that was created by people that have the, the image of God written on them? Really? That's your argument? I think there is much, much, much more compelling evidence to suggest that the Big Bang and whenever that happened is exactly what the astrophysicists think. It was exactly that long ago. And, and that shouldn't make Christians uncomfortable. Because they think, oh, that doesn't really go with what Scripture says and the math and the backwards, you know, reverse engineering and math that we're doing from Scripture. It depends on what you think a day means. So there's a book called Genesis and the Big Bang, and I think it's chapter two or three of that book. I think it was chapter two. It goes into, it depends on how you view time. And it goes into theories of relativity and some other things uh, within Einstein's work. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Whenever you make that argument, it drives a wedge even deeper between two things that shouldn't have a wedge driven between them, and that's faith in Christ, or faith in, in God and in the cosmos and all those things, and science. Science and, and all the different disciplines therein help us understand how God did the things that he did and when he did the things that he did. So again, this telescope, I need to hear from the young earth creationists. What's that about? All this light coming from far other ends of galaxies and beyond galaxies that we could have ever possibly imagined? Was that all just part of creation as well? God just snapped his fingers and all that came into place with the illusion of billions of years of age? I just don't buy it. All right, last quick hitter here before we let you guys go. Leah Thomas, the one and only, is poised to become the 2022 Woman of the Year. So this is according to CNN. So obviously they couch it and, and do the pronouns in their own way. So let's go ahead and get into it here. The University of Pennsylvania nominated swimmer Leah Thomas, who has become the face of the debate on transgender women in sports, for the 2022 NCAA Woman of the Year Award. The Ivy League swimmer, uh, swimmer was nominated as a Division I athlete for swimming and diving, according to the NCAA website. The award is meant to honor the academic achievements, athletics excellence, community service, and leadership of graduating female college athletes from all three divisions, that's D1, D2, and D3, and this is all according to their website. So here's my big takeaway on this one. Men are literally better than women at everything, including being women. And I'm not the first person to say that joke. I'm just the latest person to say that joke. But in all honesty, I do have a real takeaway here, a real big takeaway. The cultural revolution is now flipping the bird at all of us. And that's fine. I'm fine with it. Because we should always and still fight for the truth. Because the truth of the matter is, is Leah Thomas is a male and no amount of hair extensions or nail polish or makeup or medical interventions will change that reality. Okay. Now you are out of your mind. If you don't think that Leah Thomas is going to win this award. Okay. Cause as soon as Bruce Jenner decided that he was a chick, I think he won the woman of the year award. I, he was either at the ESPYs or some magazine or something like that. Woman of the year. He wasn't even a woman for a full year, and he was the woman of the year. That's incredible. That, that, that is astonishing. Like the rate of speed to get to that position, man, 
You, you keep going. You, you do your thing. Slay, queen. Do your thing. But the Cultural Revolution thinks they're winning now because they're going to get this award. They're going to get this feather in their cap. And then they're going to pretty much ignore Leah Thomas from there on out. Because at some point, I'm going to assume and I would pray that Leah Thomas is maybe going to want to go back to their male name and say, yeah, I was really confused during that period of my life. I started transitioning. I started taking these hormones and I thought that I could actually transition into being a woman. And wouldn't you know it? I can't. I can't do that. And what are they going to say then? What they're going to say is nothing because they're going to ignore it. It'll be, you know, conservative entities that will pick up that interview and try to get it out to as many people as possible. Because that's the one thing that we're seeing with a lot of detransitioners, people that have gone down the rabbit hole. They've had parts of their arm cut out, you know, to make a fake penis that's, you know, basically sewn on top of their real vagina. And they're like, wait a minute. I thought I could just become a man by getting a fake dick put on me. And it's like, well, not so much. I thought I thought I could become a woman by putting on this dress and taking these hormones to make me feel less manly. And lo and behold, it doesn't work out that way. So even though the cultural revolution is gaining steam, even though it's getting stronger, even though they're literally, you know, doing double birds saying, take two of these and call me in the morning. Don't worry about it. You still have truth on your side. You should always rest in that. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a link to the YouTube uh, message uh, to Christian churches. That's from Jordan Peterson's site. I've also got a link to our 100 books every modern Christian man should read list. So again, if we're going to be doing this book club, it's probably going to be books from that list. And also I've got a list of that Carl Truman book or a link rather to that Carl Truman book. So you can guys can check that out and also links to all the stories that I referred to in the quick hitter segment. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.